This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Saturday, September 19th, 2020. On this day in 1977, the New York Post published a letter from the serial killer known as Son of Sam. The letter implied that he hadn't been acting alone in his murder spree. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering Son of Sam's reign of terror and his correspondence with New York news outlets that turned him into a serial killer celebrity. Let's go back to September 19, 1977. The New York Post had a reputation as a trashy tabloid, but it struck gold when star reporter Steve Dunleavy began corresponding with a serial killer. The murderer, nicknamed Son of Sam, was all anyone in New York City could talk about in 1977. In mid-September, Dunleavy wrote to Son of Sam and received a chilling response. The killer said, when I killed, I really saved many lives. You will understand later. People want my blood, but they don't want to listen to what I have to say. There are other sons out there. God help the world. Now, Son of Sam was already in police custody when he sent this letter, but his words indicated that there were others out there who would finish what he started. Was this a warning about a network of killers who were ready to strike? Or was it a media-minded murderer just trying to keep his name in the papers? Nobody knew. But when the Post published the letter on September 19th, everyone was curious. It was another eerie twist in a story that had haunted New York for over a year. The first murder happened at 1 a.m. on July 29, 1976, deep in the heart of the Bronx. Victims Donna Loria and Jody Valenti were in their late teens. As they sat in Jody's car after a night out at a club, a mystery man walked up and fired multiple 44 caliber bullets into the car. Donna was killed but Jody survived. She didn't recognize their attacker, but described him as white, curly-haired, and in his 30s. Police assumed this was a one-off incident, but they were wrong. It was just the start of a rampage carried out by a man investigators would soon dub the 44 caliber killer. Between October 1976 and April 1977, nine more New Yorkers were attacked by the gunmen, and four died. As the NYPD tried to connect the dots, they noticed a trend. 
In addition to using 44 caliber bullets, the killer targeted young women with long, dark hair. These clues were all they had to go on until the April 1977 murders gave police a much more ominous piece of evidence. Alexander Esau and Valentina Suriani were shot dead in their car on April 17th, and this time their killer left a rambling, supernaturally tinged note to the police. He called himself Son of Sam and claimed that his father, named Sam of course, had a thirst for blood and had ordered his son to kill. One letter was bad enough, especially when details leaked to the press. Then, Son of Sam sent his next letter directly to the media. On May 30, 1977, he wrote a letter to Jimmy Breslin of the New York Daily News, the New York Post's major rival. The killer opened with a cheerfully grim, hello from the gutters of NYC before saying he was a fan of all the reports about him. Son of Sam also wanted Breslin to wish the police good luck, and he promised to buy new shoes for all the officers if they caught him. But lurking within Son of Sam's friendly rambling was a serious threat. July 29th was just around the corner, the one-year anniversary of his first attack and he planned to celebrate with another murder. The threat was the last thing New Yorkers needed. The summer of 1977 was already full of infamously tumultuous events. A sweltering heat wave, a two-day blackout that led to looting and arson, and the rise of disco. But the threat of being Son of Sam's next victim felt personal, especially to young, dark-haired girls who fit his victim's profile. It set off a wave of fear-based fashion, as women rushed to salons and wig shops to hide their long, dark tresses with shorter, lighter styles. They say blondes have more fun, but that summer, they were just trying to stay alive. Sadly, New York's blondes were not as safe as they thought, or perhaps Son of Sam switched up his targets just to keep the fear percolating. On July 31, 1977, he stalked Brooklyn for the first time and went after his first blonde. 20-year-old secretary Stacy Moskovitz was out on her first date with a man named Robert Violanti. After seeing a movie together, the pair returned to Robert's car. The date was going well until a shooter fired into the car and shattered the young lover's bliss. Stacy was shot in the head and died from her injuries, while Robert survived but was permanently blinded. It was another horrific attack, but unlike the other murders, this one paved the way for Son of Sam's eventual arrest. Up next, Son of Sam's identity is revealed, but the answer only leads to more unsettling questions. 
Hey listeners, I want to take a quick moment to introduce you to the newest ParCast original on the block. It's called Incredible Feats, and it's a short weekday show hosted by comedian Dan Cummins. Every weekday, Dan shares a true account of physical strength, mental focus, or genuine bizarre behavior, going behind the scenes and into the achievements of world-class athletes like Dean Carnassus, who once ran for nearly 81 hours without stopping, and performance artists like Lucky Diamond Rich, who boasts layers of tattoos in the most unlikely places, and even everyday people thrown into extraordinary circumstances, like Juliana Kopka, who was forced to survive alone in a rainforest for 11 days. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. New episodes air daily, Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 1977, a serial murderer who called himself Son of Sam stalked the streets of New York. Son of Sam was an anonymous terror, but as the summer ended, his identity was revealed. By August, Son of Sam mania had overtaken the media. The Daily News and the New York Post tried desperately to outscoop each other, even though in reality, the police were no closer to identifying Son of Sam. Though Chief John L. Keenan had 300 NYPD officers working on the case, they had no leads and were at the point where they were enlisting psychics and astrologers for help with clues. All that changed when 49-year-old Cecilia Davis came to police with a tip about the night of Stacy Moskowitz's murder. The Austrian immigrant was out walking her dog when a young man walked past her with an intense look in his eyes. She noticed that he was carrying something up his sleeve, perhaps a weapon. Minutes later, Davis heard gunshots ring out in the distance. Davis also remembered seeing a cream-colored 1970 Ford Galaxy with a parking ticket on the windshield. It was that tip that led authorities to look into their parking ticket database. They found that the ticket had been issued to a car registered to a Yonkers resident named David Berkowitz. On August 10th, officers located the Ford and searched it. Inside the car was a rifle and ammunition, a map of the various crime scenes, and an unsent letter in Son of Sam's handwriting. When 24-year-old David Berkowitz returned to his car that night, the NYPD arrested him. Berkowitz was a pudgy, mild-mannered postal worker with curly brown hair and no criminal record, who also seemed completely unfazed by the police. In fact, when Chief Keenan interrogated him hours later, the suspect politely introduced himself as Son of Sam. 
thus confessing to the murders. The arrest was supposed to put an end to the fear that gripped New York, but a sense of safety hardly sells tabloids. Eager for scoops, the reporters from The Post and The Daily News were arrested trying to break into Berkowitz's apartment. The Post's Steve Dunleavy even pretended to be a grief counselor in order to speak to the families of Son of Sam's victims. These were certainly crass moves, but the reporters were arguably just giving the masses what they wanted. People were obsessed with Berkowitz, perhaps rightfully so. After all, he had a mind-boggling motive for all those murders. Berkowitz told police that his neighbor's black Labrador named Harvey was possessed by a 6,000-year-old demon who demanded the blood of young women. The dog's owner and Berkowitz's neighbor was also a demon. That neighbor's name was Sam Carr, which explained the origins of the killer's odd moniker, Son of Sam. The possibility of Berkowitz being controlled by Satan was obviously catnip to journalists, including Steve Dunleavy at The Post. Dunleavy continued to correspond with Berkowitz after he was arrested, and on September 19th, he ran a piece claiming that Berkowitz told him there were other sons out there waiting to kill. It was a sensational story, but it ultimately led nowhere. While investigators and conspiracy theorists have worked hard to connect Berkowitz to a ring of Satanists, including Charles Manson, there ultimately isn't much hard evidence out there. Though David Berkowitz certainly exhibited signs of mental illness, an evaluation deemed him mentally fit and able to stand trial. On June 12, 1978, Berkowitz was ordered to serve six consecutive 25-year sentences, which meant he'd be in prison for the rest of his life. In 1979, he admitted that his stories of demonic doggy possession were entirely made up. Many have since theorized that his motive for killing young brunettes was tied to his bad luck with women and the fact that his mother gave him up for adoption when he was young. By 1987, David Berkowitz had converted to evangelical Christianity in prison, where he remains today alive and well. He seems to express genuine remorse for his crimes and doesn't go by Son of Sam anymore. Today, the 67-year-old prisoner likes to be referred to as the Son of Hope. The Son of Sam murders changed the way the media covered serial killers. Before that gruesome 1977 summer, there seemed to be a divide between killers and news outlets. But tabloids like The Post and The Daily News broke the mold by actually interacting with criminals. Berkowitz was a genuine fan of these outlets, and it's been argued that the media attention only spurred him to commit more murders. Some might say this was just a revolutionary, interactive form of journalism. But the reality is, these papers relied on New Yorkers' fear to sell millions of issues. In their effort to keep product moving, the Post stoked the paranoia that permeated New York and helped elevate David Berkowitz to the unsettling celebrity status he still enjoys today. 
September 19th isn't just the 43-year anniversary of the moment the Post received an ominous letter from Son of Sam. It's also the one-year anniversary of the passing of John L. Keenan, the NYPD detective who wrangled a confession out of Berkowitz and solved the mystery of Son of Sam's identity. After an illustrious career capped off by Berkowitz's capture, Keenan died on September 19, 2019, at age 99. So while today is a day to reflect on Son of Sam's peculiar reign of terror, it's also an opportunity to remember the brave man who fought to avenge his many victims. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more on the Son of Sam murders, check out the episodes of ParCast original Serial Killers that take a deeper dive on the case. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Amin Osman, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hey, ParCasters, don't forget to check out the brand new Spotify original from ParCast, Incredible Feats. Join host Dan Cummins as he explores true accounts of weird, wonderful, and all-out wild achievements. New episodes premiere daily Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.